hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 22, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. We're off to a little bit of a later start today, but regardless, happy Saturday, everybody. We made it to the weekend. Congratulations. Give yourself a pat on the back. Eat some good food. Rest. Sleep up. Uh, unless you're working today, then, <laughs> like I am, uh, then, well, you're just going to have to survive that going into the rest of your weekend. But regardless, it's great to see you all here today. You know, normally when I go into the show, I like to have two or three minutes to myself just to kind of talk myself into it. And this is actually a pretty common practice in media, uh, whether that's television, whether that's radio. I think more so it's a practice in radio than it is anything else where you have two to, th two to three minutes before the show where you're just talking with either your producer, you're talking to your co-host, whoever's going to be on the show. And it's just a casual conversation. And then you get a countdown and you go right into the show. And that's why things, at least when you're listening to a really good radio personality, that's why things always feel so natural is that they have themselves talking, you know, a couple of minutes beforehand. So it's not just a cold Turkey opening. And that really kind of explains my process since I have a background in radio as to what I do and how I do things. So, you know, I was sitting at my desk last night and I'm thinking, wow, this would be a really good thing to talk about tomorrow morning. And I can't remember what that thing is because I went to bed and I woke up this morning and I said, Oh no, I don't remember what I was going to talk about this morning. So instead of talking about what I thought it was going to be talking about last night, this morning, I instead, I'm instead this morning, talk about what I thought it was going to be talking about last night, but instead I'm not talking about, and I'm talking about that this morning. So if you could follow that, congratulations, you have a heightened level of understanding uh, for gibberish. <laughs> the point is, is that uh, I have no idea what I was going to talk about. And sometimes that absolutely gives you something to talk about. But speaking of things to talk about, uh, I've got a really nice show for you guys today. Really good variety. I've been trying to diversify the show a little bit. It, it's very easy to get stuck in football mode, especially after the Super Bowl, because there is no football anymore. There's no storyline that you can carry over across the season. That Those storylines end, the Super Bowl happens, you have maybe a week or so of fallout from the Super Bowl, and then it's just dead football until about you know March 17th, that March area where you know free agency starts, trades start happening, teams start making moves yada 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 and it's like oh man i gotta keep the football I, i've got to keep this, this 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 football energy uh i have to keep talking about football otherwise we're going to lose it because football is going to be gone for x amount of time and it's very easy to get very football central and avoid talking about other equally uh, as interesting topics so uh, i've been trying to add more variety variety to the show we're going to have some more variety today which, speaking of, uh, to start the show, we're going to be talking about Russell Wilson, how he is not going to be traded. This me The media has been pushing the narrative for about a week now that Russell Wilson either wants to be traded or that the Seahawks are going to trade him. And me being the realist in the room is just saying, look, there's no way that Russell Wilson gets traded. I'd be very surprised if he does. And I will die on that hill if necessary. So we're going to talk about that, how Russell Wilson and his agent gave the Seahawks a list of potential trade destinations in case of emergency. How that really just means nothing. Russell Wilson is just being transparent as he has been the past month or so with his feelings towards the franchise. Uh, again, it's part of this new quote unquote Me Too movement that Deshaun Watson has started in NFL players voicing their opinions more with their franchises. Then we're going to move on and talk about Dak Prescott and how Jerry Jones has lost the contract extension war against Dak Prescott. How Jerry Jones basically has three options. He can either release, uh, have Dak leave in free agency. He can either sign him for one more season with a franchise tag or he's going to have to pay an exorbitant amount of money 
for Dak Prescott to remain in Dallas for the long term. Neither of those, none of those really, are enticing options, I would think. I think he has outplayed himself. I think Jerry has overplayed the game, and he's put himself in a really tough situation. So we'll talk about that. Then we'll trans transition over to basketball. Uh, Brad Stevens has been a name that has been increasingly warm on the, the coaching carousel seat. His seat is getting a little warm. They, you know, The Celtics are underperforming. They have been underperforming this season. And really, uh, I, when I talked about the Ryan Saunders hire either earlier this week or late last week, I talked about how you know, coaches shouldn't really be held responsible for the actions of this season just because of how many interchangeable variables are happening in the NBA this season, how a lot of that is under their, uh, not under their control. And it's really hard to create a consistent high-performance high basketball team in all of these conditions, especially with the health and safety protocols with players going in and out and practice being you know, so inconsistent and the offseason being so short. Uh, Brad Stevens, his name, he's on the hot seat, quote-unquote, and I don't think he should be. I don't think any coach should be. We'll talk a little bit about, a little bit about that. And then finally, to end the show, we are going to talk about Zlatan Ibrahimovic's comments uh, or criticism of LeBron James. Essentially, Zlatan said, hey, LeBron, I appreciate what you're doing. You're a great athlete, but basically you should stick to just being an athlete. Don't talk about politics. Don't um, don't be active in that area. And of course, LeBron James is extremely active in the world of, of not necessarily politics, but definitely social activism. Uh, Black Lives Matter, voter repression, things of that nature. Zlatan's message to LeBron was, hey, stick to sports. LeBron's message back to Zlatan was, hey, shut up, <laughs> essentially. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and we're only two months in to almost three months in at this point to 2021, and we already potentially have a winner of the worst take award. Uh, so we'll talk about that to end the show. But to start the show today, I want to talk about Russell Wilson, his situation with the Seattle Seahawks. Look, Russell Wilson, even despite the news that has come out of Seattle over the past couple of weeks, there is no way in my mind that Russell Wilson gets traded. And a lot of people are going to see the headline for this, and it's going to be something along the lines of Russell Wilson will not be traded. And they're going to see that headline, and they're going to say, well, duh, <laughs> of course he's not going to be traded. Why, why would you think otherwise? But uh, the media has been pushing this narrative that either A, Russell Wilson wants to be traded, or B, the Seattle Seahawks will trade Russell Wilson over the next couple of weeks. And that, that's something that kind of irritates me as uh, uh, as media, as what media does. You know, even even working as a writer on my beat, there are different personality traits for each of the publications that work on this particular beat. I have covered college sports for about five years at this point. There's a publication that's always going to take the negative approach. There's a publication that's always going to take the positive approach. And then there's me and my publication, which just takes the literal realist approach. Um, and, you know, each publication has its good and bad days. It's good and bad stories, as every publication does. But, you know, you when you work in the business as long as I have, you really start to see how narratives start to be shifted and how everybody takes a piece of news differently. And apparently everybody is taking the Russell Wilson news that's been coming out of Seattle as Russell Wilson and the tension is so high that he's going to be traded or uh, he wants to be traded. He wants out of Seattle. And me, the realist in the room, is just saying there is no way that Russell Wilson gets traded this offseason. I would be extremely surprised if he does. I don't think that, you know, maybe there's a possibility that he'll be traded next season if the results of this upcoming season for Seattle are um, not to his liking, not satisfactory enough. But as it pertains to right now in this season, 
there is no way that he gets traded. And I'm really kind of irritated that the media is just pushing this narrative. I mean, is there really nothing else to talk about? So, and again, the latest news in the Russell Wilson saga is that Russell Wilson and his agent have laid out four teams that Russell Wilson would waive his no trade clause for. And those teams are the Cowboys, the Raiders, the Saints, and the Bears. And this is taken by the media to be, okay, look, Russell Wilson wants to be traded to these places. He could be traded to these places. And for me, the realist in the room, again, is just saying, look, this is an emergency glass list for Russell Wilson. If the Seahawks ever feel the need to trade Russell Wilson, these are the teams that he would go to and nothing more. And, you know, you take a look at those teams and that further solidifies my stance that he's just not going to be traded because I take a look at all these teams and I say, well, there's not really a an option that's viable enough for the Seattle Seahawks to want to be a trade partner with that team. And again, since it's, since Russell Wilson has a no trade clause, theoretically in a situation, if Russell Wilson did want to be traded, the Seahawks wouldn't really have much of a choice, especially if he's demanding a trade uh, like Deshaun Watson is. But you take a look at these teams, the Cowboys, they have their own financial situations with Dak Prescott. They seem committed to Dak. They seem to want to be able to work that out. But there's a lot of issues besides uh, the money in Dallas. Jerry Jones is an issue. I think Mike McCarthy is an issue. Uh, and I don't think that Dallas would had, have enough to offer Russell Wilson in the long term in order for him to feel comfortable in that specific scenario. Uh, they, they have again, they have some cap issues to work out and along the line of cap issues, the Saints are anywhere from 65 to 80 million dollars over the cap for this upcoming season. And Russell Wilson has a 32 million dollar cap hit for this season. Uh, the Saints would have to give up multiple players and multiple picks to get Russell Wilson. And although I'm sure they can find the money somewhere to pull it off, I just think that puts too much of a strain on the Saints in a position in which they already have a lot of strain on their salary cap. Um, and I think Russell Wilson has three more years on his contract. So, again, that would just be more financial hell for the Saints. It would keep them relevant for sure. They would be Super Bowl contenders. And really, the, 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 the thing to note is that no matter where Russell Wilson goes, he's probably going to make that team a quote-unquote Super Bowl contender. And um, when you look at the Raiders and the Bears, uh, the Raiders, I, I, they're, they're an interesting fit. You know, admittedly, when it comes to my knowledge of NFL teams, the Raiders are probably on the bottom of my totem pole in terms of knowledge. Uh, I think John Gruden is uh, stuck in the past coach. I think the inconsistency with the Raiders um, has kind of shown that over the last couple of years. And, you know, the Bears, I have a great head coach in Matt Nagy and a great defense, but, uh, you know, they have some holes to fix themselves. And, you know, the thing that the thing that also really just sticks out to me is that, you know, all of these teams that Russell Wilson would want to go to, what they would be able to give the Seahawks in return, most of it is draft capita. So we're talking multiple first round picks. And the reality is, is that no matter where again, and I've said this already, that no matter where Russell Wilson goes, he's probably going to make that team a playoff or a Super Bowl contender. So no matter what first round pick you're getting from whatever team, they're going to be better and their first round pick is going to be less valuable. It's not like you're trading Russell Wilson to a non-contender and making them a somewhat contender and they'll still end up in the uh, the bottom 15 teams of the league and you'll get a really high draft pick in compensation for Russell Wilson. That's just not something that's going to happen if you trade Russell Wilson. So that by itself is already kind of depleting the Seahawks' interest in trading him because you're not really going to get, sure, you're, you may get first-rounders back, but you're not going to get the type of first-rounder that you would be expecting, even if it's for subsequent years. 
you know, let's say that he gets traded to the Cowboys and then the Cowboys are in the playoffs for the next three years, you're going to get anywhere from like a 25 to a 30 second draft slot in the first round. And sure, that's great in subsequent years, but that's nothing to replace the talent that Russell Wilson has brought to your football team. On top of the $32 million cap hit that the Seahawks are going to have to absorb this season, which puts them in a delicate situation because they have some extensions to make. They're probably going to want to uh, extend Jamal Adams. He is not going to come very cheap. Just everything logically, I suppose, about Russell Wilson and Seattle points to the fact that he is just not going to be traded. And I'm extremely tired of the media pushing the narrative that he will be. You know, you run through all the situations and it's like you can see how maybe potentially these teams can work it out. But unless Russell Wilson is physically demanding a trade, there is no reason why the Seattle Seahawks would want to trade him. And even if this quote unquote tension between Russ and uh, the Seattle Seahawks is real, as the the Athletic was reporting, you know, I think the underlying sentiment here is that with this new Me Too movement that the Sean Watson has been starting in the NFL where a lot of teams are just speaking up, you know, this is this is the byproduct of that with Russell Wilson where he's being not necessarily he's being critical of his franchise but in kind of like an endearing nudging way in a sense that's like okay, this is constructive criticism for the franchise. He's not completely bashing the franchise and this is probably exactly what Seattle needs at the end of the day. They may not like it now but you know, this is probably exactly what Seattle needs. I know we're kind of going into a different stretch of the argument here uh, in, in this segment, but, you know, Seattle Seahawks, is they're very much a team that has been stuck in 2013, 2014, and I feel like Pete Carroll as an NFL football coach has been very stuck in that 2013, 2014 range uh, in terms of where they are as a football team. You know, they were in the Super Bowl those two years, and they haven't really quite made it back, and that's because Pete Carroll has been seemingly stuck in that time period, and they have been unable to evolve, and, um, you know, Russell Wilson's criticisms of the offensive line are valid, but at the end of the day, also, Russell Wilson is a quarterback that extends play with his legs, and he absolutely holds the ball for way too long, and I would guarantee you that about half of his sacks are probably Russell Wilson's fault as well. So you need, there needs to be some open dialogue between Russell Wilson and the the franchise and I think that's all that Russell Wilson is asking for is there for for there to be more open dialogue between the two parties and for his voice to be heard a little bit more in order to fix the situation that the Seattle Seahawks are in which is really just being stuck in 2013-2014 because they haven't been able to really replicate that success in close to you know seven something years um and, you know, a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans will say it's a Pete Carroll problem. Some will think it's more just an organizational problem as a whole. Uh, the other half of it is that the NFC West is probably one of the best divisions in football. You've had the Rams go to the Super Bowl. You've had the 49ers go to the Super Bowl in recent memory. You know, so this open dialogue between, you know, Seattle and Russell is uh, something that I actually see as a positive thing moving forward. Sure, it's going to be tense right now, but, you know, reports are is that Russell Wilson uh, had endorsed the new offensive coordinator hire, which uh, I can't remember the name at this point. But, you know, all that Russell Wilson has been doing by speaking out in public interviews has been taking the inspiration from Deshaun Watson to try and uh, better the, 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 the stance and the position that his franchise is in, trying to you know wake up Pete Carroll and say, hey, stop living in 2013. We got to make changes now. We got to evolve now. And even though that might be tense right now, I think that's something that will benefit the franchise overall. And again, that all coming back to the main point of the segment, with that dialogue now being open with, between Russell Wilson and Seattle, that honest dialogue, now the team has a chance to move forward and, you know, really 
get back into the swing of things, not being so inconsistent over the course of the season. And the the idea of trading Russell Wilson does not fall anywhere into that for me. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's just a media-strung narrative. And again, I would be very surprised if Russell Wilson gets traded. Extremely surprised. And again, as we said to start the segment, out of all the teams that he listed that he would be ex- that he would be comfortable going to and he would wade, wave his no-trade clause going to, none of you know, all of them have their problems too. Uh almost all of them have their problems too. So, it's not exactly like, you know, you know, the saying is, is that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I think, you know, especially in the case of like the Cowboys, um, especially with the, you know, what's going on with Jerry Jones. If, if you think that you can't get through to uh, a Pete Carroll, you probably won't be able to get through to Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is a very stubborn person. But yeah, Russell Wilson is not going to get traded. We'll be very surprised if he does. I'm tired of the media pushing that narrative. It, it seems very silly to me at this point. And, you know, speaking, <laughs> it's actually a really good segue. Speaking of Jerry Jones and, and speaking of, you know, the situation in Dallas, um, it, we, we just got done talking about Russell Wilson and his situation in Seattle, how he's probably not going to get traded. Uh, what's going on with, you know, with Dak Prescott and Jerry Jones in this contract extension battle for the second year in a row? I mean, it, this is definitive proof to me that 2020 is just a blur. <laughs> for everybody i mean it feels like we're in 2020 again we're having the exact same conversations that we were having last year about dak prescott and his contract situation with the cowboys although the the circumstances and the stakes are a little bit higher at this point it literally it, it, it's the exact same situation that we've been talking about for multiple years now and in that aspect it's like man this is very tiring but you know the relief is coming in the fact that this is all going to end very soon And in the gigantic war between Dak Prescott and Jerry Jones, Dak Prescott has finally won, I think. He hasn't been paid yet, but when you take a look at the options that Jerry Jones has in front of him, none of them are really the most entertaining ideas. You either, A, let Dak Prescott go, he pursues uh, a team in free agency, and he gets paid. And, you know, a lot of the conversation has been, is Dak really worth forty, close to $40 million a year? I don't think he is. He's a good quarterback, but he's not forty million dollars worth good. Um, I think I think the, the the talent that Dak Prescott has displayed in different aspects and different times in his career has been either um, overstated or overhyped. And while yes, you can definitely see the drop in production that the Cowboys had after Dak Prescott got hurt in Week Five. If you look back at the rest of his career, there were some serious. In inconsistencies at times, and uh, to me at this point, that doesn't mean he's worth forty million dollars. So, and, and and really, that's kind of what Jerry Jones thought as well. It's like, man, forty million dollars is a lot to pay. Uh, even though as much as you know, Dak is America's quarterback currently on America's team, it's like forty million dollars for some inconsistent play here or there. I mean, he's a good quarterback, but he's not forty million dollar great quarterback. So now we're in a situation where it's like, okay, Jerry, you've got three options. You either release Dak Prescott, he gets the $40 million or whatever he wants from somewhere else by a team that really needs a quarterback. Maybe Chicago out of all of those because they're still trying to uh, figure out what they want to do with Foles and Trubisky. And I think that Ryan Pace would probably uh, have his best shot his best shot at succeeding in Chicago in terms of finding a quarterback with Dak Prescott. Now, whether the money's there, 
that's questionable. Uh, so you either release or, or, or let Dak Prescott go in free agency. You either franchise tag him a second time to where the price to pay him next season would even be exponentially more. And Dak Prescott would be able to earn $70 million guaranteed over the past two seasons, which is just a, a mind-blowing, an absolutely mind-blowing number. Or you, you, you pay the contract now. You do $40 million for four or five years, and Dak Prescott gets exactly what he wants. So when you lay out all of those options, excluding the reality of a sign-and-trade, which that doesn't really happen all that much in the NFL, exclu- excluding that, it's like, man, Jerry, your options aren't that good. And this is the byproduct of what you get from last year when we were talking about this, of just refusing to add another year onto that contract. Again, I can't remember whether it was the four-year deal that Dak declined or maybe it was the five-year. can't remember which way that went, whether Dak wanted one less year or he wanted one more year. Um, But regardless of that, being unable to agree at that given time and just being very petty about the details of the contract has put Jerry Jones and the Cowboys in such a worse position than they were last season. And again, uh, Jerry Jones has absolutely overthought this. He's overplayed his hand. He has now put him and his franchise in a much worse situation financially. And, you know, the, the, the hard thing is, is that, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys really aren't ready to go searching for another quarterback yet. Andy Dalton is a free agent as well. And, if you remember from my predicting every starting NFL quarterback in the NFL the next season video from you know a couple weeks ago, I thought that Andy Dalton would be the next quarterback of or or the quarterback, the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys this season because I don't think they're going to be able to pay Dak. I don't think they're going to want to pay Dak at the price. So really your only option now is Andy Dalton, who has had at least kind of one season in the system. And it's like, damn, that's not really an enticing option either because Dallas isn't ready to move on and try and find another quarterback. That is the face of, you know, America's game, quote unquote. So, you know, putting that all into perspective, It's hard to see an out for Jerry Jones in this in which he wins. He's going to have to cough up some money either way, or he's going to have to let go of of America's quarterback, the face of of America's team in Dak Prescott. And, you know, it's, it's probably a little bittersweet for him because, you know, he's, even if he does franchise Dak, it's going to be 70, 70 million guaranteed in a season in which you're only really getting one season of value for that because Dak got injured. And, you know, that's the other kind of underlying variable in all of this is, is Dak ever going to be the same after this injury? I mean, it was a very gruesome injury. Um, We've seen players come back from injuries like that before. We talked about Alex Smith on the show um, on Wednesday or Thursday. So it is very possible to come back from those injuries. And granted, it's not as serious as Alex Smith's injury was, but still, is Dak going to even be able to come back and play the same? And that's the other underlying factor in all of this. So it's either you let him go in free agency, let him get paid elsewhere, and just kind of keep Andy Dalton as your quarterback, make some monetary changes, and then try and find a quarterback in next year's draft. Or you sign Dak to a $40 million, um five-year deal. So what would that be? That would be close to 180 to $200 million or something ridiculous like that. Or, and even worse, so you pay $70 million guaranteed over two years, including last year's contract by franchising him again with the knowledge that you will not be able to afford him next season or the season after this upcoming season. So Jerry, you've got some tough decisions to make my man, and you have definitely gone all in and got robbed by the blackjack dealer. Uh, that's why you never 
That's never, you, you never win at the blackjack table, folks. Um, that's evident by what Jerry Jones has done in Dallas with his, uh, with his football team. Uh, interesting. And uh, just, uh, just to, just as a finishing thought, trading for Russell Wilson, which you can't do anyways because, you know, well, I mean, you can trade for Russell Wilson, but you can't do a one-for-one swap with Dak because he's a free agent. Uh, trading for Russell Wilson probably won't make things much better either because, yeah, thirty-two, a $32 million cap hit is significantly less than a $40 million cap hit. Um, that $8 million can actually stretch and go a long way. You can sign two players at that rate, like a mid-level signing at that rate, depending on where you need. I mean, $8 million can stretch a long way, but even still, it's like, man, Jerry has really worked the Cowboys into a tough situation here, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to me to see how they actually get out of that. So moving on to the NBA, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the Celtics here on the show today. You know, I said it during the Ryan Saunders firing slash Chris Finch hiring with the Minnesota Timberwolves last week. Um, or was it earlier this week? I can't remember. Time is just such an illusion these days. Um, <laughs> there's your there's your deep introspective on the hard-headed sports podcast. But regardless of that, uh, I talked about it when the, the Minnesota Timberwolves fired Ryan Saunders and hired Chris Finch. I felt that the timing was wrong for that firing and more so with the, the, the timing of the fire slash hire is the reality is that if I'm an NFL GM, NFL, if I'm an NBA GM executive owner, I'm not taking the actions and the results of this season too seriously. Just based on what it is, it's been a season in which you know players are in and out consistently. You not only have to worry about your players' health and safety, you have to worry about the other team's players' health and safety. You don't know who you're going to have. You don't know who the other team is going to have. It's very difficult to game plan. It's very difficult to find consistency in practice. It's very difficult to gain momentum in the season. And with all of that in context, it's like, well, you can't necessarily blame a coach for a team struggle this season because he has no consistency or it's very rare for a team to have consistency in this season anyways. And a lot of coaching is finding what makes your team the most consistent and what puts your team in the best position to win every single night or every other night or whatever have you. And if you're without players, that just makes things exponentially more difficult. We've seen this when players have gotten injured in past seasons, how much that changes the, the way a team plays basketball. Because it's such a, a small game in terms of player personnel on the, on the court. You know, having a, a, a big player get injured changes a lot of things. I mean, even just look about this season, how, how the Lakers have had to change their play style and, you know, fund and, and go more through LeBron, which, again, there are, are a lot worse options that you could have than having to run the offense through LeBron. But even with Anthony Davis out, the Lakers look extremely different and they are losing games that they probably shouldn't lose. I mean, losing players affects you. So with that context and you think about, well, you know, players may be in or out with health and safety protocol. It's very, again, it's very inconsistent to game plan for, and it hurts your basketball team. So when you take a look at the, the Boston Celtics, which there's been some conversation this week about Brad Stevens being on the quote-unquote hot seat. 
the, the Celtics are 16 and 17 currently. They're the seventh seed in the East. Um, they've lost eight of their last 12 games. They were on a three-game losing streak before they beat the Pacers last night. They were down bad early in that game as well. I think something like 18 to four before a, a 15 and two run put the Celtics back in the league. And and uh, Kemba Walker had probably his best game of the season to save that game for the Celtics. But for all the kind of the, the overarching variables that I just mentioned to begin the segment, I think it's unfair to put Brad Stevens on the hot seat based on the you know what's been the outcome of this season so far. And I will point to the Miami Heat as an example of just what player personnel and consistency can do for your basketball team. Because a couple of weeks ago, I made a video talking about what's wrong with the Miami Heat. They were struggling. They were in the finals, and now that and and at that point, they were one of the worst teams in the league. I think they were like maybe six and thirteen, something along the lines. And in in that segment, I talked about how Jimmy Butler had not played. He basically played like maybe I'm forgetting exact numbers, but it was four out of the uh, eighteen games he had played. So he'd missed like twelve straight games. Tyler Hero was out. Uh, Goran Dragic was out. They were inconsistent with injuries. The the um. Uh, Avery Bradley uh, got COVID at some point, and that sent the entire team into contract tracing. And nearly a couple weeks later, now the Heat have won, what is it, like maybe they've won five straight, they've won nine out of their last 14, and now they're climbing back into the standings, and they look like the team that went to the NBA Finals. And that's all because they've been able to find their consistency. And back then, it's like, well, what's wrong with the Heat? Is Eric Spoltra, is Eric Spoltra you know, performing poorly? Is he, uh, you know, is should he be on the hot seat? And, you know, again, it just points to my, my point, which is like, when a team finds consistency, that is when the product of the team really comes out. And the Celtics have basically had no consistency this season. They've been playing bad basketball. Apart from that, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown played pretty horrible last night. Uh, Kemba Walker has been having hit one of his worst statistical seasons shooting basketball. I think he's at like 37%. So when you take a look at where the Heat were as to where they are now, and now that they have gotten their consistency back, they look like the team that went to the NBA Finals last season. You take a look at where the Celtics are now when they're in a similar situation. They're losing a lot. They're losing games that they shouldn't lose. And the question is like, well, what's wrong? Should Brad Stevens be on the hot seat? It's like, no. I mean, literally, there is no consistency this season in the NBA. And coaches, more than ever, should have a longer leash with their general manager and with their owner because of how hard it is to plan for the inconsistencies in a COVID basketball season. And, you know, the thought of Brad Stevens even being on the hot seat is kind of funny to me uh, because he has led the the Celtics to the playoffs in six of his seven seasons. And he's been in either the, the, the conference semifinals or the conference finals in, f- in the last four seasons. I mean, there are very few coaches in the NBA that are as good as Brad Stevens is at this point. So, you know, to, to take, you know, look at their current record. And to say, well, something's wrong. You know, the players aren't playing that well. Should it be, um, should should you know, Brad Stevens be on the hot seat? Is it a coaching issue? It's like, no, it's a it's a COVID, it's a COVID nineteen issue. It's a COVID nineteen in the NBA type of issue. And uh, the thought of Brad Stevens being anywhere close to being on the hot seat is kind of laughable to me because, again, as I will point to, people were saying the same things about the Miami Heat close to two weeks ago. Now they've gotten their players back. Goran Dragic is healthy. Uh, Tyler Hero has been 
healthy and now he's out of the lineup again, but Jimmy Butler has gotten back uh, to being consistency consistently in the lineup. He's kind of taken over that basketball team again. He's fundamentally improved pretty much everything about that basketball team. Once again, after they started off the season, just playing horrible defense, uh, not shooting the ball. Well, you, you take a look at where they were as to where they are now. And it's like, well, that just shows what consistency can do for you. And it shows how really the, the 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 point of the blame for you know the Celtics struggles is the inconsistency due to COVID and not having everybody at practice all the time, and you know really trying to get into a rhythm with the players that you do have. Um, so I'm not worried about the Celtics. I think you know even at 16 and 17, the East is is a pretty bad conference. Um, you know they're they're seventh. They're the seventh seed at being around a 500 team. And yes, absolutely, it's below the mark as to what we expect for the Boston Celtics. But uh, they'll end up making the playoffs. They'll end up being fine, I think. And literally, once the team finally finds some consistency, uh, once they get some confidence back, because again, the confidence is also another thing, too. When you're losing all the time and you're, you shouldn't be, confidence definitely takes a hit. We will see how the Celtics develop, and I imagine that by the end of the season, these conversations now that we're having of Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens potentially being on the hot seat, we'll look back at this and being like, well, that's, that was probably a little bit too, we, we probably jumped the gun a little bit on that one. And uh, finally, to end the show today, I want to talk about <clears throat> Slatan Ibrahimovic's comments directed at LeBron James. We're, we're only what, three months into 2021, and we might already have a a, a winner for the worst take of the year award <laughs> from a player. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic had some choice words for LeBron James, kind of out of the blue. I don't know what sparked these comments, really. I don't think it was provoked in any way. It was just kind of a comment directed at, at LeBron James out of the blue from uh, a Bosnian uh a soccer player from Sweden. I mean, I mean, he's got a Bosnian last name. He's from Sweden, uh, which is actually kind of hypocritical that he's even making these comments about, you know, racial activism when he was making comments in 2018, I think about, uh, you know, him having underlying racism in his sport because, you know, he is Swedish and has a Bosnian name and it's not, um, exactly coinciding with one another. So it's kind of hypocritical that he's making these comments to begin with, but regardless of that, um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic made some comments at LeBron James' LeBron James's expense. He said, quote, LeBron is phenomenal at what he's doing, but I don't like when people have some kind of status. They go and do politics at the same time. He, Ibrahimovic said, he said, do what you're good at. Do the category you do. I play football because I'm the best at playing football. I don't do politics. If I would be a political politician, I would do politics. That is the first mistake people do when they become famous and they become in a certain status. Stay out of it. Just do what you do best because it doesn't look good. Okay. <laughs> you see what I mean? We've got a worst take of the year award winner already. Um, I have a lot of problems with what he said, and it's going to be difficult for me to kind of organize my, my, my thoughts one by one, because I, this is mind blowing to me. I mean, sure. I would have problems if Ibrahimovic said this to anybody, like any, you know, professional athlete, but the fact that he's saying this to LeBron James of all people, is just like mind blowing. Um, you have to have a really heightened sense of self-esteem or ego to believe that, you know, 
challenging probably one of the most influential people in the history of sports. I would argue that LeBron James is probably the most influential athlete in America at this point. I I would have a hard time finding somebody else different off the top of my head that is more of an influential sports figure in the country than LeBron James is. I, I, I genuinely can't think of anybody else. I mean, again, I would have problems with what Zlatan would say would be if, if this was directed at any other athlete. Like I said, if he said this about Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes or or um, Jalen Brown or or let's see if he said this to Manny Machado in baseball. I mean, if he said this to anybody, you know, I would be like. Park the brakes, man. Like, that's not a good take. That's not a good ideology to have. But to say this about LeBron James, who has done an enormous amount of really beneficial things to his community, um, the amount of meals that he's given to poor families, the schooling that he's given in Akron, Ohio, to third to a gigantic school. I can't remember the name of the school, but he's, he's, he's made schools. He's fed families. He's donated. He set up all of these things to benefit people. And LeBron James, over the course of his career, has really become a very influential, nice person that is really a, a parading champion for equal rights for everybody. Now, whatever, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, I think we can all agree that LeBron James is a very influential figure. And at the very least, he does promote good ideals. You know, and I need to be careful about how I say this because I know that that racial tension in this country really is at an all-time high, uh, especially you know with the the Black Lives Matter movement that that happened towards the end of 2020. That tension is still very real, and you know, I I I want to be careful about what I say, but you know, LeBron James really, if if LeBron James didn't use his platform. And the pedestal that we all put him on for the good and benefit of others, what kind of person would he be? I'm not saying that you have to use your platform for good in order to be recognized as a good person. I'm saying more along the lines of it's there is no re, there is no way in which being an activist and benefiting the 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 life of other people is a bad thing, and why you shouldn't speak up and use your platform to move. You know, a younger generation or help a younger generation on their way or bring awareness to a certain issue. If, if, if there was an athlete that, that held your views and he was, you know, fighting for things that you believed him, you would have supported him too. Like so many people support LeBron James and so many people recognize and look at what LeBron James is doing and recognize his actions, whether they necessarily agree with all of them or not. He reckon they recognize the actions as LeBron James, just trying to do right by people and trying to, you know, champion for equal rights, trying to champion for things like voter suppression, trying to, you know, cha uh, champion to be a champion for things like, um, racial discrimination among other things. So to, to tell this person who is the, literally the, probably the most influential athlete in the country of America to basically shut up and dribble is completely idiotic. It's idiotic and it's hypocritical, especially based on the comments that Zlatan Ibrahimovic made about how he feels racially discriminated against in his own country of Sweden just because he happens to have a Bosnian last name. His, this take is probably one of the worst takes and one of the worst statements I have heard in a long time. It speaks to ignorance. It speaks to, uh, uh, I guess, 
humanitarian blindness. It's a horrible take. It's it's borderline idiotic. It's borderline idiotic, honestly. And, you know, again, I started off the segment saying, hey, look, if Zlatan said this about anybody, I would be saying, like, okay, dude, park the brakes. Like, if he said this about Tiger Woods... And again, I'm th- just these are these are names that are on the top of my head because I've talked about them recently. But if he said this about Tiger Woods, I would have said, "Look, Tiger Woods. Sure, he's made mistakes in the past, but he he you know he he is championing for for things that people can be respectful or respected above, you know." But the fact that it's LeBron James and he you know he's using his platform, he's using the gifts that were given to him, he's using his his money, he's using his fortune to champion for the rights and benefits of others. And from a more from a moral view, there is no way in which any, you know, I don't necessarily want to say sane person, but any level-minded person who doesn't have an inflated ego of themselves, you know, there's no way that you would be able to say, yeah, LeBron, you you shouldn't, you know, feed younger families. You shouldn't, you know, be a voice for a, you know, uh uh higher like and I don't even I'm I'm trying to just not even cherry pick things that LeBron James is champion for because I I can't be sure but it's like yeah LeBron you shouldn't be you shouldn't be championing for a higher minimum wage or you you shouldn't be championing or or being political in terms of of Black Lives Matter of which you are a black male probably one of the most influential black men in this country and have been for the past 30 years of your life you know from a moral standpoint, like Zlatan Ibrovich's comments are borderline idiotic. Like, how do you have such a lack of sense about who he is? And I understand that you, you, you know, you're a European football player. Maybe things are different in Europe. Granted, I would think that, you know, with how, you know, advanced some civilizations are in Europe at this point in terms of social context and social activism, I'm, I, that actually kind of blows my mind, too. Like, how do you have this opinion about somebody like LeBron James? It, 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 it pisses me off, to be frank. How, how could you be so blind and so stupid to say, basically, shut up and dribble to one of the most influential sports figures in American history? Especially in recent history. It, it makes no sense to me. This is, this is a candidate for worst take of the year award, and we're already in March. It's, it's, I am so trying so hard not to curse here. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, credit to LeBron James. He said basically back that he won't shut, uh, that he won't shut up and dribble. He, that he is going to continue to be an activist for what he believes in. He, you know, is going to continue to use his platform for what he believes in. Like anybody would, whether he, you're, you're a comedian, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a, a, a figure, any celebrity, whether you're a movie star. People are going to champion for things that they believe in. And regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum, I think we can all agree that LeBron James, at the very least, is using his platform for mostly good things. Feeding families, giving education to those to, to families that are troubled, especially in his hometown. He's giving back to his hometown. He's advocating for things like Black Lives Matter. He's advocating for voter suppression. He's advocating for... Uh, you know, racial discrimination, and those are the things that I keep coming back to because you know those are the most prominent things that I think you can you can connect to LeBron James to. I don't know where Zlatan in his right mind would think that challenging somebody like that is a good idea, and why 
he would hold those beliefs anyway. It's downright idiotic. It's, it's egotistical. It's narcissistic and it's a stupid take. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I want to say so much more. I want to say so much more than really I can at this point. Uh, I, I, I want to say more, but at that point, I think I'll just be cursing. <laughs> and this is a, this is a family friendly show, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, speaking of that, that is going to be the end of the show today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the hard headed sports podcast. We talked about a lot today. I feel like we sped through it today, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think about 45 minutes is a comfortable landing spot for the time of this show. Uh, I wanted it to be closer to an hour, but the way that um, sports were in America at this point, or really just sports around the world, being at the pace that they were, and I found out a lot about how to manage the pace of the show. Um, I didn't want to overwork myself, and you know sometimes you're just not going to find things to talk about. Uh, but I, I, I feel like 45 minutes is about the right place to be for the length of the show. So we're ending about right on time here again. Thank you so much for watching, uh, the show. Thank you so much for listening on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and anchor. And thank you for all your support on YouTube as well. This has been the hard headed sports podcast episode number 22 hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And on behalf of myself, stay hard headed, but have a nice day.